Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for joining me this Wednesday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll be taking a look at politics and new era of fake news in South Africa. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay tuned. Hi, I'm Archbishop Peter Wells, Apostolic Nuncio. Thank you for listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis reflects on liturgy of word and calls for joint action to fight human trafficking during general audience. And the Pope fights corruption with invisible ministry. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. During his weekly general audience earlier today, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on the Mass, reflecting on the Gospel and homily parts of the Liturgy of the Word. He said the Gospel sheds the light of the mystery of Christ on the scriptural readings that precede it. Within all of Scripture, he said, as within the whole liturgical celebration, Christ is the center and fullness. The Pope said the rites surrounding the Gospel proclamation aim at venerating it as the living and saving Word of God. Through these signs, the assembly recognizes the presence of Christ, who sends the good news which converts and transforms. He said we listen to the gospel and we must respond with our lives. Pope Francis then turned to the homily which he said continues the dialogue between the Lord and his people already opened up by the gospel. The word of God enters through the ears, arrives at the heart, and goes to the hands to perform good works, he said. The homily he continued also follows the word of the Lord along this journey. The Holy Father said the homily requires both the preacher and the congregation to be open to God's word. He said sometimes the congregation has reason to be bored by a homily that is too long, irrelevant, or incomprehensible, he said. Speaking off the cuff, Pope Francis spoke to priests, deacons, and bishops who preach at Mass. He said the homily must be well prepared and brief. The way to prepare a good homily, said Pope Francis, is with prayer, study of the Word of God, and a clear, brief synthesis, which he concluded must not go over ten minutes. Pope Francis also appealed for concerted action against human trafficking. Nosipo Hadebe reports. Speaking on the eve of the Day of Prayer and Awareness, Pope Francis has urged civil society and institutions to take concrete action to protect victims of human trafficking. Speaking after his general audience, the Pope reminded those present that tomorrow is the feast day of, jo- of St. Josephine Bakita, a Sudanese nun who, was a chi- who, as a child, had the traumatic experience of being a victim of human trafficking. Reflecting on the theme for tomorrow, which is migration without trafficking, say yes to freedom and no to slavery, the Holy Father noted that many migrants are forced to choose illegal channels of migration and become subjected to every kind of abuse. Pope Francis also asked for prayers so that the Lord may convert the hearts of traffickers and give hope to those who suffer because of the of the shameful scourge so they may regain their freedom. 
Pope Francis has released his 2018 Lenten message. The message is inspired by the words Jesus spoke near the end of his life on the Mount of Olives regarding the end of time. Sister Bernadette Reich reports for Vatican News. In his 2018 Lenten message, Pope Francis talks about false prophets whom he calls snake charmers and charlatans who can lead us astray. They mesmerize God's children who then mistake true happiness for momentary pleasure, ending in slavery to profit or become trapped in loneliness. Many young people enticed by other swindlers buy into the panacea of drugs, disposable relationships, dishonest gain, or a virtual existence. Thus people are robbed of what is most precious, dignity, freedom, and the ability to love, he says. After recognizing the false prophets to which each of us has fallen prey, the question Pope Francis would like us to reflect on this Lent is, what are the signs that indicate that our love is beginning to cool? Above all else, he says, what destroys charity is greed for money. Rejection of God follows, and we prefer our own desolation rather than the comfort found in his word and the sacrament. As a result, even creation bears silent witness to hearts gone cold. Refuse litters the world. The seas are polluted with the bodies of countless shipwrecked victims of forced immigration. And the heavens, meant to sing God's praises, are rent by engines raining down instruments of death. The Church offers us the Lenten practices of prayer, almsgiving, and fasting, which Pope Francis calls a soothing remedy. Prayer allows us to eradicate secret lies and self-deception, and we find the consolation God offers, he says. Almsgiving frees us from greed. It helps us regard others as brothers and sisters. How I would like almsgiving to become a genuine style of life for each of us, he says. Fasting weakens our tendency to violence, reviving our desire to obey God, who alone can satisfy our hunger. The Pope reminds us that although the flame of charity may die in our hearts, it never dies in God's. He invites us to participate in the 24 hours for the Lord on Friday and Saturday, the 9th and 10th of March. After Eucharistic adoration and sacramental confession, he says that the new fire of the Easter vigil, the light of Christ, will enable us to listen to God's word and nourish ourselves on the Eucharist, making our hearts more ardent in faith, hope, and love. Although the Second Vatican made the faithful's active participation in the liturgy easier by pushing for the translation of the Mass texts, it wasn't easy to put into practice because translating means running the risk of not being faithful to the original text. Responsibility for translating liturgical texts fell on the Episcopal conferences. From the Vatican, the Congregation for Divine Worship only had to verify the translation until 2001. In that year, due to many translation errors, the congregation took a more demanding role. And 16 years later, Pope Francis has turned things to their previous state with a proprio motto, or magnum principium. Liturgist Father Juan José Silvestre explains. Desde el año 69 hasta el 2001. From 1961 to 2001, the instruction says the audience is more important than the message. If the audience doesn't understand the message, it's not good for anything. That's why, in translating, the audience trumps the message. This is why many vernacular translations are nothing like Latin, because typical Latin translation is understood as an idea, and that idea is reflected in everyday language. What was he looking for? A return to the situation in which we found ourselves after the Second Vatican Council. In other words, Episcopal conferences are responsible for the translations. Therefore, the congregation only has to verify. 
With this proprio motu, the Pope has established that the Congregation for Divine Worship must not complete a thorough review of the translation to approve it. It must verify it, not deeply review it, because that is the responsibility of the Episcopal Conferences. On to African news. According to VOA News reports, Mozambique is denying allegations that it continues to do business with North Korea in violations of UN sanctions. A CNN report published this month found that North Korea has signed contracts worth millions of dollars in Mozambique, funneled the money through diplomatic channels and used profits from fishing vessels off the Mozambican coast to fund its nuclear program. However, Mozambique's Deputy Minister of Foreign Affairs and Cooperation, Maria Manuela Lukic, denies that her government has made any agreements with North Korea that violate sanctions and that Mozambique welcomes outside monitoring. Maria Lukic also says that her government is working with private Mozambican businesses to educate them about the sanctions and shut down illegal operations. The UN Refugee Agency, UNHCR, has expressed great concern about the low levels of humanitarian funding for desperate refugees from Burundi. Branwen Kali has more. The agency said on Tuesday that Burundian refugees receive just 21% of the aid they need, which falls short of acceptable humanitarian standards. UNHCR and its 26 humanitarian partners are launching a funding appeal for 391 million US dollars to support 430,000 Burundian refugees this year. Since 2015, more than 400,000 refugees and asylum seekers have fled the country, and these numbers are expected to increase by over 50,000 this year. Underfunding affects all aspects of life, including availability of food, shelter and education, as well as the capacity to respond to sexual and gender-based violence. That's according to Catherine Wiesner, UNHCR regional coordinator, who briefed reporters in Geneva on Tuesday. Underfunding also severely limits and affects our ability to invest in integrated social services and livelihood opportunities, the new progressive approaches that we would like to take, limiting support to environmental protection and restoration. In 2017, it prevented us from carrying out population verifications and providing basic vital documentation, training government officials on refugee status determination as we would have planned. According to Transparency International, Somalia, South Sudan, North Korea and Syria are the most corrupt countries in the world, especially from a business and governmental standpoint. However, corruption is not a problem that remains isolated. The international director of the World Network of Prayer for the Pope, Father Frederick Fornus, explains that those who are corrupt also infect others. Pope Francis, from the beginning, has been talking about the importance of corruption, even most recently on his trip to Peru. Corruption is, as he says, is like a plague, like cancer, which are very strong words. It's a disease that not only could be others, but could be me, could be us. It's also in society and in the church, no? So it is a form of spiritual warfare, and for this reason, I think the reform he is doing in the church stresses the importance of corruption. The invisible ministry of Pope Francis is prayer. 
You can't see it, but without prayer, the church's mission is impossible. And this is why, for the month of February, Pope Francis' prayer intentions video entitled Say No to Corruption was created in conjunction with the Dicastery for Integral Human Development as a way for Pope Francis to directly combat this plague or cancer that's afflicting society. Prefect for the Dicastery of Integral Human Development, Cardinal Peter Turkson, explains. The suggestion in this video is that we should not remain silent in the face of you know, uh, corruption. We should denounce it. Okay, probably not to simply denounce it, but, but also, you know, uh, talk about it and, 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 and show others that it negatively impacts on my own life. That is the decision of the Holy Father to invite the world to pray about this is a recognition for us as a church of, of, a, very, of a very normal procedure. And finally, on a sports note, a delegation from the Holy See is in South Korea this week to participate in the opening of the Winter Olympic Games. And for the first time, to observe a key strategic meeting ahead of the opening ceremony. Pope Francis has sent special greetings to the International Olympic Committee and all the athletes taking part in the Winter Games in South Korea. Speaking at the end of his Wednesday general audience, the Pope noted that the 23rd Winter Olympics are being inaugurated in the South Korean city of Pyeongchang on Friday with the participation of teams from 92 countries. He said that this year the traditional Olympic truce takes on a particular significance since delegations from both North and South Korea will be marching together at the opening ceremony and competing together on the same team. The Pope said this fact offers hope for a world in which conflicts can be peacefully resolved through dialogue and mutual respect, reflecting the values which sport embodies. Pope Francis has repeatedly voiced his concerns about the escalating nuclear tensions on the Korean peninsula and called for complete nuclear disarmament. He said he would be accompanying all the athletes with his prayers and he reiterated the commitment of the Holy See to support any initiatives which promote peace among peoples. May the Olympics be a great celebration of sport and friendship, he concluded. The Pope's words came as North Korea announced that the sister of Kim Jong-un will attend Friday's Olympic opening ceremony. Kim Yo-jong, a senior Workers' Party official promoted to the Politburo last year, will be the first member of the immediate Kim family to cross the border between North and South Korea. The move is widely being seen as an effort to ease tensions between the two neighbours who never signed a peace treaty at the end of the Korean War in 1953. The border or demilitarized zone between the two countries remains one of the most heavily fortified borders in the world today. And that was a brief look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. Thank you once again for joining me this Wednesday evening. You are listening to Catholic View and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Coming up next is our feature program entitled Politics and New Era of Fake News in South Africa. While the nation awaits for its leaders to announce the new date for the State of the Nation address and whether President Zuma will be removed or not, Political analysts as well as journalists have taken the lead with manufactured headlines and personal analysis of the state of the nation. 
a different approach to fake news. In a chat which I had with research coordinator at the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference Parliamentary Liaison Office, Advocate Mike Pothier cautions us about such news reports. Let's listen. I think everyone is grasp, trying to grasp uh, what's going on and trying to understand. Um, it looks like the ANC itself is moving from one little crisis to another, calling an NEC meeting and then cancelling it, uh, at first saying, you know, SONA will go ahead and then cancelling or postponing SONA. As Magashule says, don't worry, we will not disappoint the country. But in fact, I think they have already disappointed the country by not being able to make a firm decision and, and tell us, you know, what is happening. So here in Cape Town yesterday, everyone was busy at Parliament uh, putting up tents and marquees and the army was practicing and airplanes flying around uh, for uh, in, in, in a rehearsal of what would happen on Thursday. And now suddenly all of that has stopped, things are being packed away, and really nobody knows from one hour to the next hour what is happening. Interesting. Moving aside from that, we saw on news that uh, people like the DA uh, leader, Musi Maimanis, uh, announcing that he would have an alternative sauna. And if you look at that, and you also look as to other news that's happening in Africa, you look at, for example, Kenya, where you had Raila Odinga, you know, proclaiming himself as the alternative president. You know, you look at those two headlines and you ask yourself where are we heading is this becoming a new norm in Africa as a whole that if we're not happy if your position is not happy with what's happening then we present yeah. an alternative solution what are your thoughts around this look I think it's understandable that an opposition party is going to try to take advantage of the situation and say you know the ruling party is in confusion and in disarray therefore we will try to impress the voters. We will give a speech or have a rally, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, that's, that's just ordinary politics. Um, I'm not sure how seriously anyone is going to take that. Um, Mr. Maimani can give a State of the Nation address. He has every right to do that if he wants to. But no one's going to be, you know, taken in. Nobody's going to think this is a, a substitute for the address that must be given by the actual president, whether we're talking about Mr. Zuma or Mr. Ramaphosa. So these are the same thing in Kenya that you mentioned. These are symbolic moves. They make a political point, but I don't think that they are of any deeper significance than that. And still on the world of, of politics, still on the world of news, let's talk about that. Lately, we have been seeing a lot of speculation, a lot of analysis, political analysis, and we see this being portrayed as headline news and we don't really have factual news but we have analysis and all of these uh, political analysts giving us their view of what might happen or of what is exactly happening and we see this being broadcast to us as news as news headlines is this correct are we moving into an era where the media shapes the way we think yeah and I think it's a serious problem, and you've, you know, you put your finger on something very important. In, I suppose in, in all fields, politics, business, even in the church and so on, if the uh, official people are not providing information when the public and the media needs that information, somebody will try to fill the gap. 
and we are seeing this in our politics now. Mr. Ramaphosa, for example, has in fact said very, very little since he was elected on 16 or 7 December, 17 December last year. He's travelled overseas a bit. Um, he's been locked in meetings uh, at Lutuli House and so on, but he hasn't really opened up to the people of South Africa. He hasn't sat down and done interviews, uh, gone and held rallies around the country, etc., etc. He's been fairly quiet. Now, on the one hand, I understand he's working behind the scenes. He has a very difficult job to keep the party unified and so on, and perhaps that is best done privately and not in the glare of, of publicity. But at the same time, the people of South Africa want to know what's happening. And so if the official leadership does not tell them, then those analysts that you refer to, the journalists, and people who claim to be experts but in fact hardly even know what they're talking about sometimes, all of them will fill that vacuum. Same thing happens. We've, we've seen it in the church, uh, you know, with the uh, sexual abuse scandals when the church leaders were not being open and honest and not going to the people and saying, this is what happened, this is what we're doing about it. Then speculation just runs riot. And I think in both cases it's, it's extremely unfortunate. The people of South Africa want to know what is happening with our leadership. Is Zuma staying? Is he going? If he's going to go, when is he going to go? Is Parliament going to open and sit, get down to its business? Is the budget speech going to be given? And so on and so on. And we deserve to have answers, not just endless guesses. And it's uh, kind of like worrying because you, you feel as though things come to a standstill. You don't know where, um, which direction is the country going to. So in the meantime, what, what are your words for people who are on the go, who are listening to the news, who are paying attention to what's happening in the country, and yet the leadership is not speaking out, and we only have individuals, analysts, giving out their opinion, their idea. What is your message to us, the viewers, the listeners? What should we be listening to, and how should we take in news before it's actually an official news by the officials, by the leaders? I think there are two main points, perhaps. The one is that people should try to read or listen to the views of a range of different analysts and, and journalists and so on, so that we don't just take the word of one person, even if you know they are trustworthy and, and, and reliable. Um, people have got their own agendas, um, even, even academics, for example, uh, they've got their own different contacts within the political parties. So the more information and analysis we're able to access and understand, I think it, it helps to give us a, a rounded view of what's going on. It still might not be completely accurate, but sometimes if we just listen to our favorite voice, all it does is to reinforce our own opinions rather than inform us all more widely. The second thing is be very careful about believing rumors and, you know, um, alarmist kind of news. For example, it was reported the Communist Party was, was putting a, a, out a, a warning or a rumor, if you like, that Mr. Zuma was going to fire Mr. Ramaphosa as deputy president of the country uh, in one of these days right now and replace him with Nkosa Zana Zamini Zuma. That, look, I can't say that's impossible, but it seems to me that that is alarmist. It is extremely unlikely. Uh, another rumor was going around to say that Vladimir Putin was going to arrive from Russia to force Zuma to sign the nuclear deal before Zuma has to leave office. 
that again, to my mind, is nonsense. It's ridiculous. So these rumors are, are jumping out from where I don't know, people who like to promote fake news or whatever. Um, and listeners should not take them seriously. I can't say that you should, that they are, each of them must be dismissed. Strange things happen in politics. But we need to learn to, to differentiate between serious, balanced analysis on the one hand and sensationalism and alarmism on the other hand. And at these, in these unstable times, uh, we should avoid, especially avoid, uh, becoming victims to alarmism. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Any last words? Let's see what happens over the next couple of days. I think that a lot of people, as I say, are working very hard now to make sure that the Sona speech in the opening of Parliament happens perhaps next week so that the budget speech, which is due for the 21st of February, can go ahead on time. Um, so let's hope and pray that that does happen. And my thanks goes there once again to Advocate Mike Bothia, who is the Research Coordinator at the Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference Parliamentary Liaison Office. This has been your Wednesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Birch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Birch.